0: Consumers consumer has been relatively strong. It, they've held in there, they continue to grow their spending. So demand's there, but businesses have gotten more and more cautious.
1: Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan at the World Economic Forum in Davos.
0: There's going to be a decline in the economy, soft landing we predict, but still from a 4 to 5% growth rate to 1% growth rate is a steep slowdown.
1: The macroeconomic conditions he's concerned about these days.
0: I wish the day that you all would stop talking about the Fed and they would be off to the side. The U.S. economy drives by all the, you're going to have 80 CEOs, I think, over the next day. They're going to talk about what they do and how they invest. That's what drives the U.S. economy. And so the Fed's got to get normalized and then get out of the way.
1: And what the world economy needs to get going in 2024.
0: That would be better for the U.S. and ultimately better for all the countries around the world if we get the U.S. sort of situated with a dynamic of growth and inflation that's much more normal.
1: I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Squawk Pod reports from Davos. Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan begins right now. The World Economic Forum in Davos this week was chock full of world leaders. The U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, cultural icons like Diane von Furstenberg, business leaders like Intel's and Coca-Cola's CEOs, and financial giants like J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, and Goldman Sachs' CEOs. And lucky for you, all those leaders sat on our CNBC Squawk Box set this week, and their conversations await you in the Squawk Pod feed. This next conversation is another bank CEO, Bank of America's Brian Moynihan. He, like many of our other guests, and like our own Andrew ross had a chance to speak with Ukraine's president Vladimir Zelensky while at the forum. He also met with countless others discussing real estate, loans, and, naturally, interest rates. Moynihan sat with Becky Quick, Joe Kernan, and Andrew Rossorkin to dive into the economic and political landscape impacting his bank's strategy in the year ahead.
2: Brian, it's really good to see you here.
0: It's, it's great to kick off again here in Davos in this beautiful setting. It's nice and warm out today. and uh,
2: it, It's not bad. We've got the sun, so we're taking that and we're running with it. I was hoping you could kind of lay the groundwork for what to anticipate from the WEF meetings here this week. One of the huge issues that's come up is the lack of trust in institutions, big institutions, in governments and in NGOs. There was an Edelman survey that just came out this week that showed something like only 22 percent of people have faith in those big institutions and NGOs. Um, what does this brain trust here do about that?
0: Well, I think it's a message to them to act and get things done and act in uni- unity. And you know, we'll have over the course, it, there'll be the trust question, AI will be a big theme here. Uh, President Zelensky just came in and, and talked to a group of us and, you know, and it was about how the private sector can support the the Ukrainian economy, that is actually growing this last year, which is pretty amazing. It Five so, percent or something. Yeah, five. Well, he actually corrected right. somebody as above five percent. So I, don't, I think it's five point five or something. And so you think about all that, and so those themes are there. But what people want from institutions is a certainty and execution and getting stuff done, and not you know the usual food fight that goes on. And this is a great place just to have those dialogues, learn from people, and then go back and try to do something good.
2: Let's dig in a little deeper on what you heard from uh, President Zelensky. Uh, I mean, this is a a, a critical time for what's happening in Ukraine. What's been amazing is that their economy is growing while they're in the midst of this ongoing war.
0: Uh, I mean, it's it's a classic definition of walking and chewing gum when you think about it. They're fighting to the death. And uh, the first time they came in 22, all of us were just stunned by how resolute they were in terms of fighting the war. And on the other side, they've opened the Black Sea so they can ship they can get the grain out of the country and they're producing that in the economy. Um, you know, our, our teammate Bernie Menzo went there on Friday with uh, Secretary Pritzker and he said, you're in Kiev, you go to a coffee shop, it feels like a normal city, traffic jams. And then all of a sudden the missile warning co- come in and stuff, so it's much different. But, you know, his message was they've got to straighten out the country and the reforms have to go through while they're fighting a war too to get the uh, anti-corruption and the things that they were working on as a country. They have to keep working at because otherwise you can't put the money in at the level. So he knows that and it's, uh, it's fascinating to hear him talk about it because he's flipping from military defense to you know, cru- anti-corruption, to military defense, to uh, grain production, to military defense. It's really kind of fascinating.
2: Um, in terms of the global economy, one of the issues that you've talked about recently, you just came out with earnings on Friday. Uh, one of the things you said is that there is less demand for commercial loans. What, what do you see happening?
0: Well, so that's more of a U.S. commentary. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, the consumer has been relatively strong. It, they've held in there. They continue to grow their spending. The, so demand's there, but businesses have gotten more and more cautious, really facing this question. If you are told that there's going to be a, a decline in the economy, soft landing we predict, but still from a 4 to 5% growth rate to 1% growth rate is a steep slowdown. They're being cautious. Their cycle shortens. Their thought process shortens. And so what we need is just to kind of get through this change in the rate structure in the U.S. and around the world. We need to get through... A little more certainty in a stabilization at a level, and then we can work out from there. But right now, you're in the twist between, you know, a very uh, uh, tight, uh, a, a rapid tightening of policy, you know, knocking down car loans and the housing industry and things like that, as intended. And now you got to come out the other side. And businesses react to that. so their line usage went from forty percent pre-pandemic to thirty, back up to thirty-six, and now it's bouncing around a little bit low. That against the economy that's growing, you'd expect to be back up to normal. Frankly, we, you, we're, oh, go ahead. Sorry, we still see. Uh, I don't know about you, but some of your, um, some of your competitors, still refurbishing the bank rescue fund. But it, it, it can we put that behind us? So that that really was a one-off. A couple of of banks that that you know got caught with their pants down in terms of duration risk. But but we thought maybe that everybody had a duration yeah. risk problem that that was not the now rates are starting to they come down they haven't, yeah but maybe they come down so we we dodged that that was a mini little thing the companies are very unusual companies they're very different if you put a 10 point scale of what's a bank is you know 10 would be ourselves and wells and people like that and if you went to them they're in the two three because it was a very different business model and that business model suffered and it's been contained in in you know yes the the group of us we we were 2.1 billion dollars in the fourth quarter to to reimburse the fund, and so the FDIC, everybody thinks is, is the government's money. It's a government guarantee, but it's a bank insurance fund behind it. We pay for it, and we paid for that for those uh, costs of liquidating those companies. But yeah, you know, that has been behind us, and the rest industry strong. They have a capital. That's why we are not really thrilled with these new capital rules, the liquidity tests, the stress testing we are been doing for 50 no, years. There, no iceberg underneath under no, that hold the maturity. Of... Commercial real estate because yeah. I, I don't know if you saw it, probably a lot of people uh, may, back home may have yeah. seen it. There's a big 60 minutes piece yeah. uh, just on the, just this Sunday all about commercial real estate. And there were a lot of prognosticators on that yeah. program saying, look, all these things are going to roll and when businesses actually have the opportunity yeah. to get out of their leases, they're going to and this is going to take the whole market down. I... I yeah, everybody—the whole commercial real estate market down, which might have larger implications. So, so there's a couple of things that the commercial real estate uh, loan product, for lack of a better term, is more outside the industry than the industry. And then in the industry, it's it's more of a localized product. And so, those of us that are larger don't have as high exposure uh, clearly than we ever did. We had 100 billion going into the financial crisis. We have like 60 now, and of that office is like 15. And so, you know, across a trillion and a half dollars alone, a trillion. Are, and are th- you going to change your own footprint? In terms of? In terms of your own, the real estate, the real estate so, so the, let's real co- the Bank of America has, because a lot of people are looking around at businesses saying, two, three years from now, when when these leases come up, are people going to keep them? Are they going to shrink? We shed, we shed 30 million square feet of real estate in the last 15 years. Already? Already. From about 100 million, to, almost 40 now, down to 60. something
2: Because you didn't like
0: Just it? Just space consolidation, efficiency. Well, There's a long-term trend in the hoteling and all the different office space. And then... Uh, the pandemic hits and then we learn about you know three days a week, four days a week and all that, which actually it, make it simpler. five work days. If you have people in the office four days, that's a t- either 20 or 25% savings in real estate costs, but it takes your time to get- Is it really? Because don't you still need the same space? For, I mean, if people are coming in three days a week- That's the hoteling and stuff that right. went on. Remember, we work and all the different yep. things that we talked about, that went on before. That trend line was already going. What happened was we only got about 25% of our space positioned that way. And then the pandemic hits and all everything changes and now you can go do the rest. And that's the long term trend. The commercial real estate, you know, look, at the end of the day, the revaluations are going through as we speak. And you're seeing that come through provisioning and reserves and charge offs, but it's relatively modest, but it takes a long time because this is a slow burn of change as opposed to as Joe talked about, you know. 5% 5% rate, rate, rate rise in 12 months. That's a quick change.
2: But if it's not a problem for you and some of the other big banks, is it a potential problem for some of the smaller banks that do focus much more heavily on commercial real estate? And what does that mean for the FDIC and the potential assessments down the road? It,
0: that's where I say, these are. if you're if you around in the late 80s, which I was, if, yeah. you know, if commercial yeah. real estate and, and the real estate issues around the country... Those things are slow liquidations the, the the system knows how to handle that kind of uh, uh, uh bank failure there's 4 thousand banks have failed in the country over the last 40 50 years so it's not a big event and in most of that concentration of smaller banks they'll be they'll be fine and they take they know the clients it works through local communities and so you know yes it's going to be disruptive but it's it's a little different than if you have what we had in the financial crisis where the whole Morgan industry went completely overnight you know and and that affected all kinds of things it's just the leverage is not quite the same you believe in the the markets, uh, forecasting of how many rate cuts we get next like, it, and it, it, the reason I ask is, um, there's always a worry about crowding out Sorry. of the private sector at thirty-four trillion, yeah. and it started happening, and the supply was too much, and the auctions weren't going well. Suddenly, what we're going to get? Six, everything's fine. Six or seven cuts. No more worries about that. We're we're clear sailing. I uh, I wish the day that you could, you all would. Stop talking about the Fed, and they would be off to the side, and the you know the well, entrepreneurs and they the capitalists—they will let that happen because the U.S. economy drives by all the. You're going to have 80 CEOs, I think, over next year. They're going to talk about what they do and how they invest. That's what drives the U.S. economy, and so the Fed's got to get normalized and then get get out of the way. But if you think about we we have four rate cuts, not the six or seven in the market for this year for this year 24, four and 25, which leaves you the three percent plus Fed funds rate. Probably have a four forward handle on a 10-year, that'd be a normal rate curve for those of us who have been around a long time. It's just for the 15 years or so, So no, oh, financial crisis. Can be, real. Yeah. You know, be seeing a normal rate curve. So it's going to take a while for the system to adjust to that. The reality is we got to get there. We got to get the rate structure in a way that has more flexibility up and down, is not so glued to the floor that we can't get up. And so I think you'll see that play out. Hopefully that'll play out because that'd be better for the U.S., and ultimately better for all the countries around the world if we get the U.S. sort of situated with a dynamic of growth and inflation that's much more normal. And that's what the Fed's trying to engineer, and they've got to be careful they don't overshoot, right?
2: Now. You, you mentioned some of the capital requirements that are coming from the banks, some of the changes that are anticipated in Basel III. Um, it has been a move that you and a lot of other big bankers have been very vociferously kind of stepping up and saying, this is going to hurt competitiveness. Um, it looks like they may be changing some of those requirements, or they're at least considering it.
0: It. it, it... From the public dialogue, they're working on it. Um, when we say competitiveness, it, you know, some people say, well, it's about you guys just want to make more money. We've made $100 billion after tax since the pandemic. You know, So we'll, we're going to make money in any environment, and my colleagues will do it too. This is about competitiveness and mid-sized businesses. If you have a business in Europe, and a business in the United States, both engaged in the supply chain for autos, and we have twice the capital requirements that they do in Europe, which is what could be the result of this, we're going to have a higher cost of capital for that mid sized company, US, that produces the auto industry, sells still the great auto companies around the world than the company in France or Germany. And that's just, that's the competitiveness issue. Yes, does it make us less or more competitive in the biggest banks? But the American banks are in great sip, They'll figure out a way around it. But it makes the mid sized businesses less competitive. And that we're into a trade negotiation on this thing. And it's, and, and that it's, it's not, the playing field's not level now and it will get more unlevel. And, it's And so we're saying, be careful of this, because frankly, we're well capitalized. As Joe said, we made it through a, a, quote, banking crisis last March and life went on. You know, we've been stress testing and all this work we've done, and you're throwing it all out on a different theory. And we're saying, is that wise given the impact on American economy? Hmm. Do you have a preference in who wins the election? I told Becky you somebody to ask that. The answer is, we've been around since 1784, Joe. So we've been around a lot of elections, a lot of things. Somebody will win. We'll figure out how to operate. We'll go to try to help them be successful. That's what companies have to do. Good answer. Mm-hmm.
2: Brian, I want to thank you very much for joining us. Great to see you.
0: Thank you. And you, you want want want. Want. You're not cold, are you? You're no, sure. Not yet. He's not cold. <laughs> the story to <you> tell. <laughs>
1: Thank you for listening to this special series of Squawk Pod reports from the annual World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland.
0: I just can't wait for next year. For next year. Can't come.
1: Booking your flight already. (laughs) Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Squawk Pod is produced by me, Cameron Costa, Katie Kramer, and Caroline Rehodes. John Lazration is our editor.
0: Thank you all. Thank you all.
1: Thanks again, and have a great day.
2: Hi, I'm Nick. I'm getting married today. I'm also a firefighter and first responder. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can make it to my
0: ceremony to start the next chapter of my life. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down.